Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. Because that which does not spring forth from faith, Romans chapter 14, that which does not spring forth from faith, the Bible says and declares that to be sinful. So it is never just about taking out a wallet because it's now it's offering time, seeing what's in the wallet. Oh, I didn't have anything. Let me just quickly do a EFT transfer just to get this over and done with. If we sow in the flesh, we reap in the flesh. If we sow in the spirit, we reap in the spirit. And this is why it is so important that we connect our faith to our giving. That it's never just then a thing of just going through the motions. It's just what we do. But that we actually stand on the word of faith. We stand on the word of God, the promise of God. God was the one who said to Joshua, if only you would listen to this word, heed to this word, and not depart from this word to the left or to the right but that you would make this word part of your life, that you would meditate upon it day and night. What did God promise Joshua? That he will make his way prosperous and give him good success. That was true for what the Bible refers to as the law of Moses. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's what God instructed Joshua to do. That is the first five books of the Bible. This was before Jesus came to this earth. We today have a new testament, a new covenant, which the Bible declares is a better covenant based on better promises because we have the best eternal high priest. His name is Jesus. And so if that is true for Joshua to stand on only five books, the books of the law, how much more? Do we not have access to the fullness of his bountiful riches in glory? When we truly just begin to tap into the revelation of who we are. We are the seed, the offspring of Abraham. Come on. It is time for us that we once again grab a hold of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Where we begin to declare that since we, as the Bible says, if we fully obey. But not just from the perspective of if. But that you would already declare this, knowing it to be true. That because I fully obey the voice of the Lord my God. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am blessed in the city as I am blessed in the field. Blessed going out and blessed coming in. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I am blessed in Jesus' name. Come on, that needs to be your revelation. Hallelujah. And so at any moment, during the course of this morning, you can come and sow your seed, release your tithe, your offering, whatever it is that you want to do, but do so by faith in the anointing. So Michael, you can just sort of just play something for me there in the, in the background. Wasn't Michael just incredible this morning? Come on, let's just hear it for him. So what we've been doing is uh, we've been on this incredible journey in highlighting the fact that God is the God of miracles, signs, and wonders. Many people in the church do not believe that anymore. 
There are those who claim to be and even would, would defend their position of being a cessationist. That means they do no longer believe in the operating or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that it is relevant to this day. What a weak form of Christianity that is. Because we would love to believe certain aspects to be true, but when it comes to the supernatural side of God, the power of God to be made manifest, we want to sort of reserve that and say, well, you know, that was for them. If the disciples needed, required the supernatural power of God to function in that day, how much more now, especially when we consider that the latter glory will be greater than the former. Since we go from one degree of glory to the next, as Paul declares and releases to us, one degree of glory to the next. You see, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about ups and downs. Strength to strength, faith to faith, not faith to unbelief. Not strength to weakness. Strength to strength. Faith to faith. Glory to glory. In other words, it speaks of going from one dimension of glory to the next. That even in the area of your health, one dimension of your health to the next. In the area of your finances, one realm to the next. One dimension to the next. That in every single area of your life that we will get to the fullness, the full measure of who Christ is. You see, this is our highest calling. Paul admonishes us to not be conformed to this world, to the superficial values and customs of this world. But what should we conform to? We should conform to the image of Christ. For it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, the Bible says. In other words, in everything that we do, we need to accurately reflect and represent the image of Christ. That is our highest calling. Our highest calling is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so over the last few weeks, we've dealt with various aspects Again, recognizing that God is the God of miracle signs and wonders. But this morning, I want to make things very personal. Because we can talk about things like health and finances, restoration in your marriage and your family, and relationships in general. We can talk of other areas and other ways where we can see the manifestation of the kingdom, the power and the glory of God. But today I want to make it very personal. And this is going to come as a challenge to every single one of us. Where God wants every single one of us to rise up. To go from the lowly place. To arise from the depression and prostration under which circumstances have kept you. But to rise to a new life that is attainable for us who are in Christ Jesus. That is Isaiah chapter 60. A portion of scripture from the Old Testament, Old Covenant. But it is prophetic. Speaking to us, all of those of us who are in this new dispensation, a new covenant. 
all of us who are in Christ and the new life that we have access to in and through Christ Jesus. That is the only way to live. It's in Him and through Him. That's the only way. For we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. And it is also through Him that we live. I feel the weight of His glory here this morning. So in Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Question mark. If I were to take every single one of you, and I know that the context in this particular situation was what was in his hand. But I want to just play on these words this morning. And I want you to imagine taking your cell phone and looking into the selfie camera. And I want to ask you this question, what do you see? What do you see? Not what does the next person see, not what does your wife see or your husband see or your children see or your colleagues see or your boss see. What do you see? And coming back to Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah looked at what he had in his hand and he said, I see the branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. I want you to hear these words and receive it prophetically over your life this morning. Where God says that I am watching over my word as he watches over you this morning. As he is actively involved in fulfilling the plan and purpose that He has over your life. You are not forgotten. Your best days are not gone. Your best days are still ahead of you in Jesus' name. And so God is watching over you. He is watching over you. And if you are able to see what He sees, when you come into agreement with God, then I want you to hear these words again. For I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. You see, while Jeremiah was caught up with his inabilities, God was more concerned about his potential than his supposed inabilities. God is more concerned about your future, your purpose taking you to your destiny than it is about your excuses, your supposed inabilities. I cannot do this, I cannot do that. And what are the things that people say? We all know this, we come up with these excuses ourselves. We say, well, I'm too busy. Well, aren't we all? But you know what I've, what I found, especially in ministry? If you want to do something, or if you want to get something done, you ask a person who is busy. It's interesting. You would imagine that it would be those who you can ask who's not busy who would get the job done. Because the others still have or already have too much on their plate. Yet what actually is going on in the person who has nothing going on 
is not because they are actively waiting to do something. It's because there's a refusal to do something. And this is why when you want to get something done, you ask the person who is busy. But also I want to just say this with an asterisk. Terms and conditions apply. Not just being busy, but being productive. Because you could go to one of these bicycles, you've had your spinning bike in the gym. Now imagine, you know, that was sort of a representation of your life. You're on this bicycle. You are overexerting yourself. You know, many of you, if you've done spinning classes, I've done that a few times, and I'm telling you, I nearly died. I had glimpses of Jesus coming to fetch me. It's hectic. Especially if you get certain instructors, you know, it's like they have just no grace. No grace. But what I want to get to is this. You could be on that spinning bike. After an hour, you've overexerted yourself. You're at the point of death. But you know what? You get off where you started. The bike was stationary. You did not move forward. Now I know that you can say, well, you got the exercise and the whatever else. But it is in the same way that we look at our lives and we fill our lives with things that we get busy with. But at the end of the day, we see no productivity, no progress. Which is why you could look at this year and you could say, Yo, it was a busy year. It was a busy year. But was it a productive year? Because if you are still complaining about the things that you complained about in 2021 or in 2020, you have not grown, you have not developed yourself, you have not become a person of value. And it comes down to making a decision. There are still people blaming C for what has happened. I can't say the word on podcasting platforms because they flag you. Crazy. (laughs) Then there are others who say, I'm only a child. I'm I'm young. But God called Samuel when he was still a child. Again, God is not concerned about your current circumstances. He's not concerned about your current age or even your spiritual maturity level right now. God calls you from the perspective of your destiny. Therefore, you might see where you're at now and it doesn't make sense. Why would God speak to me the way that He speaks to me? Because He is seeing what you are not yet seeing. That's why. Some might say, well, I'm not a good speaker. Moses also came up with that excuse. I can't speak. And yet he was one who was instrumental in leading the largest group of people at that time. Possibly ever. I mean, how do you walk and navigate a desert place with more than a million people walking with you? Just think about the logistics. I mean, you would have a people so large, so vast, where even if there was a river flowing, they would, they would drink the river dry. Just think what it was like supper time. I mean, they had sheep and goats and whatever that were traveling with them. So just think about the amount of meat and things that they would have to slaughter, to consume on a daily basis. Until such a time that manna came for them every single day from heaven. 
And Moses spoke to a rock and the rock opened up and water flowed constantly allowing everyone to have their full, to have their drink. Some might say, well, I do not have enough knowledge. But you see, David was called when he was young as well. Yet the Bible declares that he was wise. He was a man, a young man who was wise beyond his years. Another excuse people have is they say, well, people will never take me seriously. But understand this, that respect is earned. Respect is earned. David, although he was young, was the only man brave enough to take on the giant called Goliath. The only one. Not any one of Saul's army. Not any one of Saul's mighty warriors had what it took to take on Goliath. Which is why David comes there to the army camp. He is literally the one who is bringing lunch to his older brothers. That's what he did. That was the reason he got there. He did not come there with a sword or a spear or armor in his hand. He came there with lunch. I was Mr. Delivery. Uber Eats. He did not know that he was going to have to fight that day. So he enters into the camp of the people of Israel. And there is something happening in the atmosphere. And then he hears this unclean Philistine. Taunt, mock and blaspheme God. In an open field, I mean, he's there taunting God, but also taunting the Israelite army. Who of you have what it takes to take me on? Ha, ha, ha. And then David hears that. He's like, why do you tolerate this? What can we do about it? He's a giant. I will take him, he said. And as they say, the rest is history. In a moment, we're going to get into that. Final excuse. People might say, well, I'm not distinguished, influential, or brave enough. You see, Gideon also thought so. Just look what God says to him in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Question mark. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. He thought of himself as small. Not only of himself as being small, but he comes from a small family, an insignificant family, a family with no big name, no prestigious name, no name that when you hear that, you're already like, oh, okay, yes, sir. A nobody. But he is the one who God calls to lead the people of Israel to attain the promises of God. And so David, I touched on him briefly. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 17, that's where we read about David taking on Goliath. And after he slays this giant, there is victory in the atmosphere I mean he literally goes after the stone struck Goliath and he fell David went to Goliath's body he took Goliath's sword 
and he chopped off his head and he lifted up Goliath's head for all to see. That is a sign of victory. If you understand anything about medieval warfare even or war as it was in these days, when you lifted up the head of the one opponent in that army that was opposing you, that was a symbol of victory. Because you had taken the head of the serpent. In the very same way that Jesus, when he died, he was buried. But on the third day, he rose back to life. He literally crushed the head of the serpent. The serpent struck his heel, but he crushed his head. What does Golgotha refer to? The place of the skull. That is the place where Jesus was crucified. And if Jesus did not stand up from that tomb on the third day, if he did not get back onto his feet and lived, then Golgotha for us would be a very sad place. But now that has become a symbol of victory, which is why we can have a crucifix that you can wear as a piece of jewelry. Understand it's, it's actually a symbol of one of the greatest, most heinous forms of capital punishment that the world has ever invented before. Yet we wear it as a piece of jewelry. Why is that? Because it has lost its sting. Because we do not see the, the punishment, the cruelty, the torture that's associated with that anymore. For us, it's become a symbol of hope, but most importantly, a symbol of victory. That's why. And so David would have thought, you know what, this is it. Especially now, after he's now part of a royal line. I mean, there's the prophecy. He's anointed the future king of Israel. But also, he gets Saul's daughter. Remember, that was part of the, the bargain. Part of the deal. Part of the package. And so, he marries Saul's daughter. And now he's in the palace. But Saul becomes jealous of him. So much so that Saul begins to inflict these acts against David, making it very clear that he is out to get him. And this is something that many of you might even identify with. How you've had a victory. You have managed to cut off the head of the giant that has opposed you for so long and you hold up that skull as a symbol of victory and you think, yo, now my life is ahead of me. Now, poof, elevated to the palace. I've arrived. I'm there. Only for a new set of challenges to begin to kick in. New things that need to be conquered. New giants that have to be slain. And so what happens is literally David has to flee for his life. He has to flee. Just think about that. Here's someone now who lives in the palace. I mean, everything is done for him. He's royalty, you know. He's living the life, living the dream. And then the Bible says this, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. 1 Samuel chapter 22, 
verse 1 to 2. So this is what happens when David then fled for his life. The Bible says that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander or their captain. About 400 men were with him. Think about this. Here is the future king of Israel who in essence now has to humble himself, who leaves the palace and flees to a cave. Now you would think that the people to surround him, because he's got some followers, he's got some people at least who believe in him, who believe in the prophecy, who believe in the dream, who believe in the vision. But the people that are surrounding him is not what you would expect. It's not who you would necessarily expect. You see, even when it came to Saul and when it came to David, Saul was this tall, dark, and handsome man. David was this little boy. It is there that God mentions that it is man who looks at the outward appearance who looks at the flesh but it is God who looks at the heart again God looks and speaks from the perspective of your destiny remember that and so the people that surround him listen to this three things these are the three characteristics of the people that he is surrounded with And this is not just like there's one of these characteristics or even two, but all three of these characteristics are found in all of these men. The Bible says that all those, not some, all those who were in distress, number one, in debt and discontented, gathered themselves. And they were the ones who came to David. And what the Lord showed me, was again just taking us back to even us as a, as a local church, as a ministry. And by the grace of God, I say a movement that has its humble origins, its humble beginnings right here. Now people will come in to a setting such as this this morning. And there might be those who say, well, I thought it was gonna be bigger. I thought it was gonna be louder. I thought there were going to be LED screens right now. I thought there were going to be smoke machines and lights and cameras and action. But then there are those who grab a hold of the vision, who do not just look at the now, because they grab a hold of the vision and the promise and the prophecy. They already can see through the eyes of faith and vision. They can already see the future. And they know that God had chosen David as the one who would lead the people of Israel. And so they joined themselves to him. And David could have said, listen, none of you qualify. I have my standards after all. 
I have an image to uphold. He could have done that. He could have set a qualification criteria. A minimum requirement. He could have introduced that. He could have. But then what happens? All of those who are distressed, in debt, and discontent come to him. I'm not saying, please hear me very carefully. I'm not saying that if you are here this morning, that at least one of these things have to be your portion or is your portion or is something that you are marked by. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying and what I'm getting to this morning is there might be those who enter into these doors, who come in and sit here to receive an impartation from heaven. Where when you were to look at them and interact with them, it might even come that all three of these characteristics are evident in their life. They are distressed, they are in terrible debt, and they are discontented. And so now the challenge comes whether or not we are willing to accept those who might not look the part, fit the mold. The one thing I do not appreciate about some churches is when you look at the congregation, they all look the same. You know, they're all of a particular background, all of a particular skin color, all of a particular language, all of a particular class in society the church should be a church that is for all nations for the body of Christ consists of all nations yet we are one in Christ this is why it's so beautiful to you know look every Sunday I'm here every time we gather together to see the variety the beauty that is portrayed in every single one of you but you know what to see transformation take place before my very eyes to see the distressed come in and to be distressed no more to be delivered from that for those who were in debt and bondage financial bondage and restraint to receive a financial miracle and even now for a financial grace to come upon their life we're seeing that. The testimonies that are coming in. I'm telling you, there's a testimony that you're going to hear maybe even next week. It's already done. I just don't want to. It's not my testimony to share. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this testimony because it's wild. And so this is what God is wanting to do in your life. That of your family, of your friends. And this is what he's doing in this church. Looking at some of you, you know, even here this morning, I mean, I don't want to particularly mention names or point you out, but you know who you are. Maybe just sort of follow my eyes. <laughs> to see how you have changed. That dark cloud that was around you, all of it, poof, it's gone. That heaviness. That every time you entered into this place, you know what, there were tears just rolling down your cheek. You were miserable, depressed in bondage, enslaved to things of this world. Many of you even contaminated with demons. Delivered. Set free. And now I've got the attention of some people. It's like, oh, really? 
Jesus said that you will cast out demons as you heal the sick. There's no distinction. But Christians love to just deal with the lovely things. We want to package God. We want to package Christianity. We want nice things, cute things, cuddly things to put on fridge magnets. And that is why the devil is having a field day out there. This is why we find ourselves at the end of October. This month already, I mean, if you, if you watch any television channel, I mean, all of a sudden, this, their channel is branded with the elements of Halloween. They declare October horror month. Demonic month, devil month. That's what happens. And look at the stuff, you know, in, in South Africa, we are still, in essence, protected from that. But in America... If you go to some department stores right now and you look, I mean, they've got Uja boards, Ouija boards selling right there on the shelves. And it's like a dollar. And it's, it's like it's, it's, it's in plain view, in plain sight. And the devil is able to rear its ugly head and to convey and spew its filthy message. For those who are susceptible, why? Because the church in many parts are silent. And this is why we need to get back to the full revelation. The full word of God. To preach the full message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel that Jesus introduced and that he preached. The instructions that he gave. Not only to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, but to cast out demons. To deliver people. To set them free from bondage and addiction. To restore marriages. To restore relationships. To restore families. That is the assignment of the church. That's what we are here for. This is what we do. And so in a moment, I'm going to have the men come and I'm going I'm to pray for every one of the men here this morning. If you say, I, I don't want to, that's fine. But every single man, I want to pray for you this morning. Because there is going to be, I believe, an activation and, a, and an impartation in the realm of the Spirit over the men of this region. That every single one of you as men will begin to stand, not only take your rightful place in the home, but take your rightful place in society. This is what God is speaking to us about this morning. You see, David Livingston, he said this. I laughed when I read this quote. You know David Livingston? Missionary in Africa. So he was the one who was, in essence, you know, he set the tone. He sowed the seeds. That ministries and ministers like Reinhard Bonnke harvested from. While we could go to Uganda, Malawi, Zambia, you name it, these Southern African countries. Almost any one of you can go there right now. And you know what? The moment you just begin to even enter in with a guitar, a musical instrument, just begin to praise Him, just begin to worship Him, already a crowd of people just come. It wasn't like that before. Even those missionaries who went to the Polynesian islands, 
back in the day, I'm talking 200 years ago, even as much as like 100 years ago. The Polynesian Islands, the Pacific Islands, talking about Samoa, Fiji. You know now, Fiji, Samoa, they are Christian nations, sheep nations, Christian nations. A hundred years ago, they were cannibals. Do you know how many missionaries were eaten on those islands? Not figuratively, literally. But the seeds were sown so that the harvest could come up later. But no one loves to do the pioneering. No one wants to be the first on the scene. You see, even when God reveals himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we know that Isaac benefited from Abraham's wells that he had dug. Because the next generation's floor is your ceiling. Your ceiling is the next generation's floor. This is why your children do not have to start where you started. If you do things well, if you live your life by faith and live your life based on the principles from God's Word, your children will start where you ended. The highest of high that you could have reached in your lifetime will be the place where your child or your children will start their race. And so David Livingston said this. He wrote this and he said, If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road. Again, Africa, the bush. If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road. I do not want them. I want men who will come even if there is no road at all. And so the call of God is going forth to every single one. Every single one who is here this morning. You might say, I'm just visiting. The call is going out to you. Whether or not you would like to make that decision to be part of something bigger than yourself. You see, even that which Abraham signed up to, when God first spoke to him, it was a generational vision. It was not something that would be fulfilled in his lifetime. And in the very same way, that which the Lord has deposited into our spirit and that which has been birthed in the spirit, which is dominion, where we find ourselves establishing what God is doing right here in this place. But where we will go from here. This is not the place where we will start and finish. This is but the first watering hole. This is but the first step of a literal thousand mile journey. A journey that will literally take us all around the world. If not maybe then, by then, a colony on Mars. If the Lord tarries. I'm not limiting God. Some people, you know, some people get upset with a preacher who just has a private jet. What are they going to say when I have my private shuttle? You know, some people get upset, you know, a pastor moet mos nou maar met a bus of rai, jy weet. Eindelijk, hy moet met die trein rai. Trein, trein, trein. You know, you just, you, you fly commercial, people get upset. You fly, you know, Anything more than, if, if they tolerate that, then they're not going to tolerate business class. 
Because no, you, you're a pastor, you have to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> you know, some people think that God only has a limited supply. And that, you know, it can, His limited supply therefore can only go so far. Why is it that pornographers have multiple private jets but a man of God buys one with legitimate money that he made engaging in business and then all of a sudden everyone is up in arms a man of God wants to build a facility you know how much it costs to build even just a room extra onto your existing home you know how much it costs so it's not too outrageous to say that if we were to build a facility that's going to cost us a minimum of 50 million rands. Some people hear, whoa, you know, Pastor Kevin, that money could have been used for the poor. Because that's the way people think. Yet, in Las Vegas right now, they build buildings that no one will occupy as a tax write-off. Some of them have built large facilities, large casino complexes, only to then a few years later completely demolish them. When are we as the church going to wake up? Why do we tolerate the wicked to play with the finances that can be utilized for the furthering and advancing of the kingdom of God? Again, it has to do with a mindset. Because we love to look at ourselves as worms. These low lives. The rejected, the worthless. Do not believe the lie of the enemy. We are here to challenge the mindset of people. And to cause every single one of you to make a paradigm shift. To get onto the glory train. And to go where the Lord is going to take us. I'm telling you. I'm prophesying. In the realm of the spirit. I see the vision that God has for us. I see a building. I see a state of the art facility. Right here in this region. It's very close. I see it. And you know what? Those who will be part of this. Call it this, this inner circle. This inner group. Now you look at me like, how can we say that? Because it sounds exclusive. Jesus had the 72. Jesus had the 12. Jesus had three. Then he had one. I look at some ministers now. Many of them are my friends. I look at the photos of where they started. They started with some of them even less than what we have now. The fact that we have this roof, that we have even this glorious facility. The fact that we have a parking lot, that we have sound, that we have things to utilize. We, 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 when we just started in the ministry, I mean, I had a small little Hyundai Atos. And I used to take at least two trips from my home to the church facility, to the building, a small little room in Otsur. To drive up. I mean, I was there early morning, driving up, driving, boom, 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 boom. Later, you know, we got an upgrade as, as we grew in number. You know, we had this lovely facility. 
aircons. You know, I remember going there early in the morning. I did the setup all myself because people were coming in from far and wide. You know, in the mornings I would already, you know, I would go in fully dressed and whatever. I would literally take off my shirt. I was there bare-chested, but no one was there. Almost here. Lock the doors, put on all the air cons, full blast. You know, I would literally just go and put all the things there. And I had a little towel and I would just wipe my, and then go, poof, preach. And afterward, we had to take everything down, unplug the sound system, take all the chairs, everything had to go. That we did week in, week out. You know what? Some churches have done that for years before they get to the place of having their own facility. And then all of a sudden, you know what? When you get your own facility now, everyone wants to join in. Because people don't want to have something and be part of something when it's hard, when it's tough. Because people are carnal. That's just human beings. Human beings are carnal, fleshly. And we love to be part of something for now, for the benefit of now. And people typically make a withdrawal before they even see the full promise be realized. The same is true when you invest in stocks or any kind of investment really. You know how many people just, in this, even the little sign of the market just going a little, just a little, it's like, no, let me just sell. Let me just get out of this position. But then there are those who hold because you're in this for a long run. Because even when it comes to the stock market, for example, you know, you can just, you have the privilege of just, you just zoom out. And when you begin to just zoom out, you can see that it does this over the years. So even though it might have done this now recently, it's going to go. After 9-11, everyone, everyone thought, Oof. Then 2008, everyone thought, Oof. Then came this pandemic. And everything's just, and everyone thought, Jesus is coming. And here we are now, everything's reopened. All around the world, pretty much all around the Western world, I must say, wherever people, employees were forced to take the, or whatever, or you were fired, they are being reinstated now. Check the news. Read the headlines. See what's happening all around the world. I mean, that is pretty much as close to an apology as you're probably going to get from the world. <laughs> but in 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 8 to 39. I don't have the time to read all of it, but I want to just lay emphasis on the first words from verse 8. Because in this particular portion of scripture, it's lengthy, it's lengthy. You can read about these 37 mighty men of David. And it starts with these words. These are the names of David's warriors. And they were the ones who were with him from the beginning. When he was still in a cave. He spoke about the palace. He spoke about, you know, Israel, the glory of Israel. But he's in a cave. And please, for the sake of those who think I'm sort of drawing comparison to King David, I'm, Elo I'm not. 
Asablif, asablif. What I'm getting to is this. Is that I'm already seeing, you know what? In only a few short years from now, you know, we will be able to look at where we are and we will look back at where we started. We will pull up photos, the photos that we've been taking this morning. And there's going to come a time, you know, where we're going to show people. And you're going to see yourself. You're going to see what you looked like back then. You're going to see the clothes that you wore back then. And you're going to think, you know what? Isn't it incredible? And then there will be those then who will say, Yo, I wish I was part of it then. Yet the reality is this. Many of them have the opportunity to be part of it now from that perspective of the future then. But they chose not to. And so I want to just say this. I commend every single one of you. Everyone who has already decided and you've vowed in your heart, you, you've become a member of this church. You've become a partner of this ministry. You've stood with us already through thick and thin. Because let me tell you, it's crazy out there. There are those who just never wish for you to do anything meaningful. There are those sometimes even closest to you who only mean harm to come to you and not good. And you have to contend with these things. You have to deal with these things. You have to fight off with the one hand while you build with the other in the spirit of Nehemiah. So these are the names of David's warriors. In closing, Bill Johnson said that it is unnatural for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. I love that. It is unnatural for a Christian not to have an appetite. Hey, we have an appetite for a lot of things. But the Bible, oh, not the Bible, Bill Johnson. Not the Bible, please. Bill Johnson, not the Bible, Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson says that it is unnatural for you. Now I know that's based on the Word of God. It comes from the revelation from the Word of God that he says this. It is unnatural for a Christian to not have an appetite for the impossible or for the supernatural. You see, every single time God said these words, I will be with you. He has just given an impossible task to a natural human being. Every time. When you look at it, Moses and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Exodus chapter 3 verse 12. To Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Every time we read, I will be with you. God had just given a supposed impossible task to a natural human being. Now you say, well, I'm so glad that I am not a Moses or a Joshua or even a Gideon. But you know what? What if I told you that God had given you every single one of you? That supposed impossible task to do. Because did Jesus not say in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is why our vision is fourfold. Number one, saving lives. Number two, impacting families. Number three, transforming societies. And number four, discipling nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then, and surely I am with you. Always until the very end of the age. He had just given us a seemingly impossible task to do. But even 30 years after Jesus gave this commandment, the entire Roman world was turned upside down. Evangelized, mobilized, geared to experience a taste of heaven on earth. For in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, the enemies of these disciples point out, not them, the enemies of them point out, these are the men who turn the whole world, speaking of the Roman Empire, the whole world around. They turn the whole world around. But they had to go and till the soil. They had to plow the fields. They had to sow the seeds. They had to water those seeds. They had to tend to the land in order to see the harvest come up even in their lifetime. There are many seeds that you will sow in this lifetime as David Livingston did. That you might not experience the harvest in your lifetime if the Lord so tarries. Nonetheless, you sow those seeds. And by the time it is harvested, it will be your name that will be remembered. It will be your name that people will utter. Knowing that there was a man, that there was a woman who dared to take God at His word. Who possessed the faith that Abraham had. The faith that said that I am fully persuaded that God is able to do just as He has promised. He has done it for Abraham. He has done it for Isaac. And He will do it for you and your family in Jesus' name. Come on, if you receive that word today, just shout up unto Him and give Him praise. Amen. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, Follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.